As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Canada is the second largest country in the world and home to only 38 million people. That's fewer people than live in just the state of California and only slightly more than live in the metropolitan area of Tokyo. With so much space and such a small population, it's understandable to expect that the country would have some headroom for bringing in more workers through immigration, especially if those workers are already skilled in an in-demand profession or if they plan to get a tertiary education in the country. Skilled migration like this can be one of the most effective forms of economic stimulus available to policymakers, and it has the added benefit of not hurting headline figures like national debt. But as with most things, even nationwide macroeconomic initiatives, the devil is in the detail. Some economists are now arguing that Canada is in a population trap, where it can no longer afford to keep bringing in new immigrants at the same rate that it currently is, but it also can no longer afford to stop. And while the country is not the only economy bringing in record numbers of new skilled workers, there are a few small differences between Canada and places like the USA, Western Europe, New Zealand and even Australia that could make this problem a lot worse here than anywhere else in the world. At the very least, it could make it a lot more immediate, which means a lot of economists and policymakers will be watching what happens in Canada over the next few years very closely because it could be the first sign of a dominant economic strategy backfiring for the world's most advanced economies. So, why has Canada's economy been so sensitive to immigration? What harm has this done to the country and its people? And finally, what is stopping Canada from just pulling back on immigration if it's such a threat? Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. A lot happens every day. Cut through some of the noise by listening to What's New with Wired, a podcast that provides in-depth coverage on technology and culture. With new episodes released every weekday, you can catch up on all the major events you missed. From AI developments to business updates to new scientific theories, it helps you make sense of what's happening in the world. Plus, each episode is usually pretty short. You can easily squeeze it in on your way to work or during a lunch break. So stay updated with the award-winning journalism from Wired. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. Skilled migration, if managed correctly, can be a big boost to any economy, especially advanced economies that have low birth rates and an ageing population. By bringing in skilled workers, an economy can fill any gaps it has in its workforce and make sure that it has enough new young taxpayers to support the people that are retiring out of the workforce. 
Skilled migration also acts as a type of upfront economic stimulus because normally when skilled workers are moving to a new country, they're not going to be coming empty handed. They're going to bring some spending money with them from their home country. They're going to need to buy home furnishings, perhaps a car, rent or buy a place to live and everything else that people need to spend money on to make a life in a new country. Now, if new skilled migrants are coming from developing economies, it's likely that their move was motivated in large part by the higher earnings potential and better quality of life they can get in the advanced economy they are moving to, so that means that they might not have a lot of money to bring into the economy, but it is still a boost. A lot of countries even have so-called golden visas that grant permanent residency or in some cases even citizenship to wealthy people that invest a certain amount of money in the local economy they are moving to. Even incredibly wealthy people also normally enjoy a high quality of life in advanced economies that tend to be safer, more politically stable, less polluted, offer better opportunities for their children, and perhaps most importantly, better protections for their property. And then of course there are student visas that are given to people to study in an economy normally with conditions that allow them to work while they are studying. International students bring in billions of dollars every year to advanced economies just to pay for tuition. They also work a lot of low end jobs that other people in advanced economies would prefer not to do. Skilled workers fill jobs that wouldn't have otherwise been filled without investing significant resources into training, and in doing so they add to economic output and tax revenue. This is one of the most powerful tools that advanced economies have to maintain their economic growth. And yeah, sure, it generally comes at the expense of taking the wealthiest, most promising and most talented workers out of developing and undeveloped economies, but who's keeping track of that? Now, like all good things, this can go too far, theoretically at least. But for a long time, advanced economies have been doing it without any real repercussions, and that's what makes the case of Canada so interesting. In the aftermath of the global pandemic, pushing for more migration became a major strategy to boost the economy in the ways that we just explored, and give relatively direct aid to institutions like universities that make a lot of money off international students and employ a lot of people. Now, a little bit of this was just making up for lost time from global travel restrictions that slowed down people entering the country, but that was only really a drop of, at most, 100,000 people in 2020. Canada is now welcoming in nearly half a million new migrants every year, and a majority of them are economically motivated. Another group were refugees who moved to the country to seek asylum because they would not be safe living in their home country. Obviously the motivation for this one was humanitarian more than economic. The remainder are people immigrating for family reasons, primarily to move along with a family member who got a work visa. Now there is a significant economic impact from this and we'll get to that soon. Either way, such a radical shift in such a short amount of time on a major economic lever is going to have huge impacts on the economy. Some of them are the positive goals of the policies that we explored earlier, but some of them are going to be unintended side effects. Canada does not have a huge population to begin with, so this represents a not insignificant percentage of the entire country moving in every year. Canada, despite all of its space, is also a very densely populated country, with concentrated centres focused in just a small handful of major cities. The most immediately obvious consequences of so many people moving into a limited amount of space is that they're going to significantly increase demand for a limited supply of housing. Already, Canada has some of the most unaffordable housing in the world, especially in the aforementioned city centres where most new migrants will be moving to go to school or get the job that they moved to the country for in the first place. This puts upwards pressure on rental and sale prices in a pretty clear case of demand outpacing supply. Now, it's possible that eventually more housing can be constructed to accommodate all of these extra people, but this wasn't a gradual change. It was a very immediate spike in the number of people that need a home. There's also a broader issue that big immigration numbers that are not managed carefully can cause as well. Increasing the number of workers in an economy will, all other things been equal, increase the total output of that economy, because there are more people making stuff. But if other economic resources are spread thin across that large population of people, then it's possible that per capita output remains stagnant, or potentially even goes backwards. Canada already has a serious problem caused by its much larger and much more productive neighbour to the south. 
The USA is on a per capita basis far more productive than Canada is. It also has better business opportunities, higher wages at the top end, and lower taxes, all available in cities that are in many cases just across the river from Canada. As Canada brings in highly skilled workers from around the world, a lot of the most highly skilled workers in Canada are leaving for better opportunities in the USA. This means that if Canada slows down its current rate of immigration, it may be left with a serious skills shortage, especially in the fields that it's targeting like healthcare and IT. If it keeps this rate of immigration as high as it is though, then the more limited business investment into Canadian companies is going to be spread out over even more workers, which will make them less productive on an individual level. We've already made an entire video on why Canadian businesses are less productive and therefore offer lower salaries on average than businesses in the USA, so as always we don't want to repeat too much here. But briefly, the USA is generally more business friendly, it uses the world's reserve currency, and it's home to most of the world's largest companies. So it's a very popular destination for investors from all over the world to invest their money. With that money, businesses from the USA can invest into better technology and machinery to make their workers more productive, which means that they can pay them better, attract better talent, and build the world's largest companies that attract even more investment. Canada, being so close both geographically and culturally, somewhat lives in the economic shadow of that success. Beyond the merry-go-round of workers coming into Canada to replace workers leaving, there is the issue of skilled workers bringing their potentially unproductive family members with them to their new home, which means even if they individually bring up average GDP per capita, their collective family unit may bring it down. There is also the issue that if immigration has increased so radically, it naturally raises questions about how that boost in numbers was supplied. There are millions of people around the world at any given time that want the opportunity to move to an advanced country like Canada because of how much it would improve their quality of life. Obviously these countries don't let them all in at the same time because that would cause a lot of these economic problems. That means that countries like Canada can normally be pretty selective with who they let in, only giving skilled worker visas to people with the best skills, or at least the ones that are in most demand within the economy. If Canada is effectively doubling the amount of people it's bringing into the country in a year, that means that at least half of them wouldn't have made the cut under previous levels. Now, does that mean that they'll be less productive on average, further adding to the problem of more people not necessarily being a net positive? Well, time will tell. What is already a clear problem though, especially in Canada, is people getting around this screening process by just getting a student visa. Canada welcomes a lot of students, which could be a great opportunity since the country is training its own skilled workforce so that are literally paying for the privilege, but that's assuming they are actually going to real schools to learn real skills from real teachers. Canada, maybe more than every other major student destination, has serious issues with tertiary education facilities that are little more than empty buildings that let people into the country on a student visa. There are reports of these places effectively running no classes and only operating to meet the bare minimum requirements for students to technically be counted as students. They're so common in the country they even have their own name, diploma mills. Canada has very generous laws around what people can do on student visas. They can work full-time if they say they're on a school break, they can buy housing, skirting the ban on foreign buyers, and they can bring their partner as well. This causes problems at both ends. Exceptionally wealthy foreign students have purchased a lot of homes in the country, furthering the problem of unaffordable housing. Particularly egregious examples had students spending tens of millions of dollars on a place to live while they were studying. On the other end, there are people who get student visas just for the opportunity to work in Canada, often taking roles in the gig economy and clearly bringing down average economic output. So if Canada continues to bring in so many people without improving per capita output, it could be in a situation where all it really achieves on a macroeconomic level is raising the cost of living without raising economic output to compensate for it. If it stops this flow of new people entering the country, then it could run into a very serious skill shortage very quickly and have short-term problems with businesses that were built on the expectation of population growth and skilled workers on tap that would have to radically readjust how they operate. 
Radical shakeups like this either way would be particularly bad in Canada, which is a country with amongst the highest levels of household debt in the world, thanks primarily to people borrowing to afford some of the world's most expensive homes. If the flow of new people entering the country was suddenly restricted in the same way that it was suddenly doubled, then it could leave a lot of households in the country underwater on their mortgages, where they owe more than their house is worth, which could cause significantly larger and more immediate problems to the economy. This is a population trap. Canada can't keep bringing in so many people without causing problems, and it can't stop bringing in people without causing more problems. Which sounds dire, and it is a real issue that needs to be carefully addressed, but it's probably over-sensationalised. There are things that Canada can do to avoid the trap. A balanced discussion on purely the cold-hearted economics of such a sensitive issue is difficult. It is possible to oppose immigration measures, or even the scale of immigration, without being anti-immigrant. And on the other hand, huge numbers of people entering a country every year are an easy scapegoat to blame for genuine economic and social concerns like being able to afford a place to live. But that problem may hold the solution. If the demand for housing increases, so too should the supply. Yes, Canada's population is heavily centralised in just a few cities, but those cities themselves have incredibly tight zoning regulations that makes building new homes fast enough to keep up with population growth incredibly tough. Loosening those regulations would be a great start and could also be a huge stimulus to the economy itself. Building houses employs a lot of skilled people, and it's an industry that can never be offshored. Canada does have a skill shortage in the construction space, but again, skilled migration is really good at filling skill shortages. Of course, a lot of people say that they want affordable housing, but when it comes to rezoning land around their home, they might be slightly less enthusiastic. And when people have taken on so much debt, it's understandable that they would want to protect the value of their biggest assets. Good governments at all levels, even down to local council zonings, are ultimately beholden to the wishes of their people. And if their people don't want to fix one of the biggest issues caused by immigration from the supply side, then the demand side is all they really have left. Canada has already pulled back drastically on new visa allowances, and the perhaps overly loose regulations around student visas are also getting looked at quite seriously. Whatever happens, Canada will be watched closely by a lot of other countries that have also tried to get too much of a good thing with skilled migration, because the population trap is far from Canada specific. Now, whatever ends up happening in Canada, its problems with skilled migration are not going to be nearly as bad as the problems caused in the countries that those migrants are coming from. We didn't really touch on that in this video because it was more focused on the receiving country, but we have made an entire video on the tragic reality of brain drain on developing economies that you should be able to click to on your screen now. Thanks for watching, mate. Bye.